Real Talk with Grace Redmond features conversations with fierce and fabulous people from Grace's community and circle who inspire others with their stories of overcoming challenges to create amazing. Grace is an entrepreneur and success coach who works with individuals to diminish their negative mental chatter, boost their confidence, achieve their goals, and increase their prosperity mindset. Get ready for a series of Anything Goes Conversations with remarkable men and women that will get you jazzed for life's unlimited possibilities of success, freedom, and fun. Welcome to Real Talk with Grace Redmond. Hey loves, it's Grace Redmond. Thank you so much for joining us today on Real Talk where I get to have real and raw conversations with incredible people from my circles and communities who have overcome challenges and created fabulous. Today, I'm super excited to be here with Greg Baldwin. Greg is a stand-up comedian and actor. Today, Greg performs in comedy clubs throughout Los Angeles, including the Comedy Store and the Hollywood Improv. Greg is also the host of the popular podcast, Second Chances. He was a member of the Actors Theater of San Francisco and has been a lead in numerous theatrical productions, acted in over 15 short films, produced three shorts, and has voiced commercials for PlayStation, Vans, Kenneth Cole, Volkswagen, CBS Radio, and one of my favorites, iHeartMedia. Greg! Hey, Grace, how are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to have you on today because Baby, your story is incredible. So Thank I'm looking you. forward to, you know, digging in and getting Thank really involved with you today. You know, I gotta say, you know, at some, you know, I've always, whenever I think of you, I always feel like you and I had a special relationship. Uh, when I, I don't know when about, where, whereabouts it was, but somehow you and I had bonded uh, uh, really well. I think in somewhere in high school, maybe we had a class together. My yeah. memory is really bad, but. Whenever I think of you, I always think that you and I had a special friendship. We did. We did have a special friendship and we definitely bonded many times. And that's why I was so excited to have you here. And I was even more excited a few years back when you came to San Francisco and we got to come and see you on the stage. It was like a reunion. It was, let me tell you, it was, it was really special to see you on that stage and to be there with you and everybody else. I, I look back at that night that was at the punchline uh, yeah. and I sold it out and headlined it. But the uh, I look back at that night as uh, there were good things and bad things. The good thing is I got a standing ovation, which was amazing. Yes. The uh, All my friends, it was like a big reunion. The bad thing was, uh, that, I think that was in 2016, maybe, I don't know, or, or 18, maybe, no, 2016, I think it was. But the uh, the bad thing was, I wasn't that strong of a comedian yet. And I swore the whole time through. <laughs> and it's That's, like, so I- see that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know. But I mean, you know, it's like, I, I'm, I'm always so concerned, especially in the Bay Area, I grew up there, you know, what people think. So it's like, it's bittersweet because I'm going to come back and I've become such a stronger comedian and I still have a lot of work to do. But I always think that a lot of the people saw me there and think, you know, so- Oh, you know what? I hear you because that's a perfectionism, you know, coming yeah, up. Yeah, and that, yeah. that's something that, you know, the imposter syndrome is something that I, I've battled with and I still battle with, mm. you know, you know, mm. every day. I think I remember I heard JLo say the same thing. I'm like, shit, if JLo has imposter syndrome, then we're all good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, I, I agree with you. And anything short of Richard Pryor for me is dismal failure. And, you know, and the reality is being a comedian, stand up comedian is hard. 
and it's uh it takes a long time it's not like giving a uh toast at thanksgiving where you kill or a wedding speech or something like that it's a it's an it's an art form and it's a craft and you got to learn how to you know uh you, you know, when I first started doing comedy, it was uh, even when I did the punchline that where you saw me, it was set up, 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 punchline, set up, 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 punchline. And so it was a lot of story without a lot of opportunities to laugh. And I think as you get more experienced, you learn how to edit it and it becomes set up, punchline, set up, set up, punchline, set up, set up, punchline, punchline, set up, you know, so uh i've grown so much from that time but yeah it's uh i'm such a you know i'm like you know, the imposter syndrome you know, perfection and you know it's like i i did a show on friday with uh one of my favorite comedians um bill, bill burr. burr yeah bill burr I he, yeah he did our show and i went on right before him and he uh i had a really good set i had a really really good set and he went on the stage and he kind of ripped me a little bit but in a nice way. And he, and he, and he, but he, but I was so excited because he heard my set. So I was oh, like, yeah. Oh my God, he heard my set. And he made like some sort of joke about me. But then after he came off the stage and he came up to me and he's like, Hey, great job. And coming that from Bill Burr, that was a lot, but you know, getting back to the imposter syndrome now this week, I'm already thinking, you know, I'm not good at this. I shouldn't be doing this. And it's so it's just a never ending battle, but you know, I always care so much what people think of me and it, it's just, it's a never ending battle, but that's the difficulty of being a stand up. Yeah. So. And I hear you because that's something that I, you know, I teach and that I've struggled with, like caring about what people say. Yeah. And when we become, you know, neutral and we accept ourselves for who we are, what people say doesn't, you know, affect us anymore because really what they're saying has nothing to do with us. It's all about them. Yeah. But let's go back to the imposter syndrome, my friend. I heard that this week you were mentioned on Joe Rogan's podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, my first name, my first name. So there's Doesn't this comedian. Matter. Yeah, yeah. So there's this comedian. Her name's uh, Laura Bites, and she is a fucking excuse my French, but she no, is, you could say fuck. She's a fucking destroyer, like absolute destroyer. But she. Um, She's a friend of mine and she, I, I had her uh, do a show with me um, and uh, I booked her for a show and we drove down together. It was in Santa Barbara and we meditated together, oh, and, uh, which I, I meditate twice a day, 20 minutes a day. And she had, uh, she said she had a lot of difficulties meditating and, and we talked about it. She's like, I can't stop thinking during meditation. And I said, you know, you're allowed to think during meditation. You're supposed to think you cannot shut off your brain embrace those thoughts and let them come. That's a perfect, could be a perfect meditation when you just think the whole time. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned that and she mentioned my name I love in it. regards to the meditation. So that, that was, <laughs> that was well, kind of cool. I mean, I'm super spiritual and I, you know, meditate every day as well. And I, I'm getting the sense that that was a sign from the universe for you. The, uh, the meditation or Joe Rogan? No, Joe, that was a validation. Not that yeah, we yeah, need yeah. it, but the universe validates us in different ways every day. So there you, you know, go. Yeah, you know, I was just talking to somebody about this and, you know, I'm uh, I'm not a religious person, but I'm a very spiritual person. person. And, uh, and I, but, you know, I don't have anything against religion at all. No, me neither. Um, I, ju I just, uh, I just don't go to church and I just, I just don't participate in organized religion. But 
I'm extremely spiritual and I believe in uh, God and I don't know what it is, but uh, if you heard me talking about this when we were in high school, I'd be like, oh my God, Greg has lost his mind. But there's things and coincidences and signs that have happened. And I, I just, I do a lot of public speaking and I shared about it on Sunday where I hate to say this, but it's almost like the matrix where it's like, you know, it's like something happens and then a sign comes to me to point me in the right direction. Oh, yeah. And serendipity or whatever. And it's and and it's happened over and over and over again, where if like I put all these things on paper, it's like physically impossible for not to be something working in my life. And it's like almost it's like I, you know, there's it's like I, I just can't quite put my finger on what it is but I know it's something, it's some universe, some power, some, you know, something that's directing me in the, in the right way. And so spirituality means for me is that uh, I try to become in tune with what God has in store for me. And I think when I do the things like meditation and prayer and service work, and I, and, and I try to grow and I don't engage in behaviors that, that take me away from that spirituality then I'm more in tune for what I'm supposed to be and the person I'm supposed to become. And, yes. you know, and the more that I become selfish and self-centered and don't, you know, forget to meditate or don't do service or whatever, I then what happens is I fall away from that spirituality. Maybe I'm not as in tune with what I'm supposed to be or who I'm supposed to become or whatever. And, but there's always some sort of correction that points me in the right direction. I, I agree with you 100%. Absolutely. I also believe in the signs that there is a power greater than us. You can call it God, universe, universe, source, whatever it is. And it always has our back. And absolutely, it brings us signs, leads us in the right direction. And like you said, when same thing, when I'm, you know, take time to meditate and do my gratitude and set my intention, I, I hear those, I, I hear and feel and see the signs. However, when I fall off, and I get into my ego and I start focusing oh, yeah. on what's not going right. I go back into that state of chaos, mm -hmm. which happened to me recently. But also when I went into that state of chaos, it was also a sign for me that there's something in my life that had to change. And that was the universe way of talking to me. Yeah. And, you know, I stepped back and got back into my meditation and I figured out, okay, this is where I need to make a change, which brings me to something you, you, you have really, really have an incredible story. And when we saw you at the punchline, you know, back in, you know, it was, I believe it was 2016. Your comedy was all about your sobriety, your 14 year sobriety. Mm -hmm. And you talked about, I mean, you made it a joke um, about how, you know, you were, you know, addicted and in this place. And then here you are now, you know, in these lineups with these famous comedians. Mm -hmm. So your story is incredible. So tell us a little bit how you went from the street to the stage. Okay. Uh, well, so, you know, growing up, um, one of my first memories growing up was my, my mom gave me Flintstone vitamins and uh, I liked them a lot. I really liked them. So I waited till she was gone and I ate the whole bottle. And so I've, what I've come to realize and I look back is I think there's something, something different with me mentally, uh, the way my brain reacts to things that make me feel good. 
and sugar was the first sign when I was a little kid. I, you know, I was compulsive. Um, and uh, the first time I, you know, I started, I, the first time I smoked pot, I think was in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, somewhere around there. And then I remember going to the dentist and getting nitrous. And I remember as a, as a tiny little kid, and I remember how good it made me feel. And I remember thinking like, I want to feel this way for the rest of my life. Chasing and, yeah. So I started doing drugs when I was, you know, I don't know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I started doing a lot of drugs and, and I just enjoyed. And I remember thinking like, how could something that makes me feel this good be bad? You know, how could this be bad? This can't be bad. This is good. It made me feel good about myself. It made me feel free. When I did hallucinogens, it made me have that moment of clarity and spiritual awakening that I've, you know, that I've always desired and sought through, you know, mushrooms and, and nitrous and stuff. So I'm like, and I always thought like with, as far as the hallucinogens go, that I was accessing the subconscious. And I think I was, and I would have these little moments of clarity and, and realizations and stuff. And, and, uh, and I think I was accessing the subconscious, but I think I was doing it in false ways, but what ended up happening, you know, over time, I went to rehab when I was 19, I won't tell you my whole story, but I went, uh, when I, I went to rehab when I was 19 and then I ended up going to college and I, I got sober for like three to six months, something like that. And then I went to college, I played baseball and, uh, and I excelled in that and that kind of kept me out of trouble. But, um, when I got out, I, I went to work for in radio and in radio industry, we partied, mm -hmm. we've, we've partied hard. Yeah. <laughs> But what happened is slowly but surely my ability to function in society and my reliance upon uh, mind altering substances, they were always there. I smoked pot every day, but it got worse and worse and worse. And the beginning of the end happened for me. I started uh, smoking crystal meth and, uh, and I tried it. I, yeah, I'd snorted it before I'd done speed before and I had snorted it and I'd done, I don't know, pounds of cocaine. I've done so much drugs. It's ridiculous, but I started smoking crystal meth in a, in a short period of time. I ended up losing my career. Um, I lost, I got down to 118 pounds. My teeth were starting to fail um, and I was dying and, you know, and um, I ended up getting arrested for possession of a controlled substance. And, uh, and I checked into rehab on February 13th. I've, I've been sober ever since, but I'll tell you one using story. I'll tell yeah. you one you, using story. You, like what was the, you know, what was the bottom? After you tell us the story, I want to hear what the bottom was. Yeah. So here's one of the bottoms. <laughs> it was a pretty substantial one. I don't know. You know, I used to work for KOME and Live on a Five and Alice and all these radio stations. I remember those. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. And I got to, you know, it was fun because I got to bring all my friends backstage to see concerts and stuff. And, uh, but anyway, um, uh, I was moving down to LA to, I was kind of trying to get away from math. And so I left my job at, at CBS and I was interviewing and I went on an interview with, uh, I was supposed to transfer to K-Rock, K-R-O-Q, which is the big mm -hmm. station down here, but it, it fell through because I was on drugs. But I went on a jo job interview with ABC and I went in the interview and I had a bag of meth in my pocket. Don't ask me why I didn't leave it in the car. Oh, shit. I had a bag of meth in my suit pocket and we, I went in the interview and there was a hole in my pocket and the meth fell out in the interview, which I thought I killed. I had my resume was really good, but uh, you know, I was strung out on meth. But anyway, the the meth fell out my the hole in my pant leg, out onto the floor at in the managers at ABC's office, and we're walking out of the interview. He bends over and he goes and he finds it and he goes, "What's this?" 
and he grabs it and he holds it up and I snatched it out of his hand and I said, vitamins. Oh shit. And he, he <laughs> said, well, let me ask you, escort you to the door. And he, he escorted me out. He was kind enough to send me a follow-up email saying they were going to pursue me with uh, future employment, but talk about devastation. We laugh about it now. And I tell normal people that story and they're like, oh my God, but you know, in I tell my sobriety. Hmm? In that moment, it felt devastating. Yeah, it was, de- it was devastating at the time because I thought my career was over, but I ended up using for another couple of years after that. I lost, you know, like I said, 118 pounds, lost my career, liquidated my 401k, ended up in jail on a drug possession charge. And that, that my bottom for me was uh, I went to court and they gave me the option of rehab or jail. And uh, I didn't think I could ever get clean. I thought my life was over and, uh, and I chose rehab and I checked into rehab on February 13th of 2007. And I've been clean ever since. That's fabulous. That's I'm so proud of you. Yeah. And and what do you think has been the factor that's helped? Because you know addiction is very difficult, and a lot of people struggle, and they never get sober. Mm-hmm. What do you think was a factor that helped you get stay? You know, get in there and stay sober all these years. So I think you know. Uh, it's, I, I think what happened when I checked into rehab, I think there was a moment of grace. And, you know, addiction, addiction is a disease and it's a, and it's a brain disease and it's clinic, you know, it's, but, you know, it's, it gets weird when people that don't have addiction think, think that they can control people like myself or other drug addicts can control it with willpower. We get to a point where willpower is no use anymore, where willpower is, is, is no help. In fact, it's, it's a liability. Mm-hmm. And so what happened for me when I checked in on, on uh, February 13th is I just surrendered and, uh, and I gave up and I, and, you know, before when I was using my, I would pray, God, get me, if you get me out of this one, I swear to God, I'll never do it again. And this time my, I, it was just help, help. And I think what happened is there was a moment of grace, like an, an intervention of grace and, and, you know, for people that don't understand compulsion, you know, addiction, you know, there was, um, you know, I'd be driving down the street, you know, and I would think Coke or meth or alcohol or whatever. And it's like, I'm turning to go, could, could to go do it and physically and spiritually and emotionally, I cannot stop myself. I just can't. And I get so uncomfortable. Even when I try to get clean on my own for a couple of weeks, I just, I just could not I would get so uncomfortable that uh, I don't care what the repercussions are. I can't stand another second the way I feel and the way I think. So I have to use, but there, there is this compulsion. And, and when I checked into rehab, I think there was this little bit of grace, just this little tiny separation where before I would think, oh, meth or whatever, and I would go do it. And there was nothing that was going to stop me. But now there was this moment, little bit of space where I'd be like, oh, meth. Yeah, sounds great but shit, I'm in rehab and, or, you know, I want my life back or whatever. And there was just a little bit of separation. And so what's happened over the past 14 years is, you know, I work a recovery program and there, that little bit of grace is, you know, I work a recovery, recovery program. I pray, I meditate, I do service work. And that little itty bitty space of me thinking and using has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And so now I can think, Math, you know, and listen, I like the way math makes me feel. I really do. 
and uh, mushrooms and ecstasy. I like the way those things make me feel. But now uh, there's a separation where I can play the tape. They say play the tape. I can be like, oh my god, I'll lose my comedy career. Uh, I'll lose my sobriety. I'll, you know, I might not make it back. My parents will be devastated, and I could play that tape through. What I think will happen, and a lot of people relapse. Relapse is very common for addicts. And when it, what will happen is if I stop going to meetings, I stop working a recovery program, I stop praying, I stop meditating, that space is going to get smaller and smaller, and either I'm going to forget. Or I'm going to get so uncomfortable in my mind and my body, I don't care anymore, you know, and, and, I'll, and I'll pick up. So, well, I, I, you, I always you, have to continue to grow my spiritual life, uh, but it, you know, I hate to say this, I, you know, and it's, it's, you know, and cause I, you know, but it was God. Well, when you use the word surrender, I, I mean, I really believe in the principles of the universe and surrender, you know, something in Al-Anon, because I had to go to Al-Anon for many years, mm. was let go and let God. And, mm. and so when you said the word surrender, that's the phrase that came up in my mind. And then you, when you started talking about that little bit of grace, and then your commitment and consistency to the meditation, to the prayer. And so when we let go and let God, like you did, surrender, and we turn to our higher power, you know, and I, and I can't relate, you know, to what you're saying, although I've had many addictions. It's just like you said, when you're committed and consistent to growing your spiritual, you know, your spiritual self, there's always God's always there to help you make better decisions. Yeah, there's a, you know, like I said, I'm not a religious person, but there's something to this life. And, yeah. uh, I don't think anybody knows it was the Dalai Lama might have a better, but definitely has a better idea. Uh, the Dalai Lama, uh, what's his name came into my head? Um, Bill Murray. Bill Murray. <laughs> so, the, you know, he has a better idea of what life is about, but, uh, or what happens when you die. But, you know, it's like, there's just something and, you know, everything is temporary. Yes. You know, and it's like, I, I had this amazing, you know, I had this amazing weekend where Bill Burr complimented me and you know, I spoke at a couple big meetings and uh, I won the NCA March Madness uh, basketball pool for $1,400. Nice. And, and uh, like all that, but you know what? It's like now, you know, I'm back and it's just, it's all temporary and it's gone. All that with that weekend is gone and now it's a new experience. And, and, and I just, there it's life is a trip. You know, I lost my, my brother died last uh, November of 2019. I remember. He had, a, he had a tough life, you know, and um, my cousin died when I was a little kid. She was in her 30s. When I was when I was in my actually not a little kid, kind of a little kid. Mentally, I was a little kid. I was in my 20s, but she uh, she died of ovarian cancer. You know, we've lost Tony Rossi. You know, we've lost yes. grandparents. We've all death is something that we all are going to deal with for the rest of our lives, including ourselves. You know, we're, we're mortal and and but I I think there's just something greater. I don't know where we go or what happens or whether we're reincarnated or whether we go to heaven or I don't you know I don't really believe in a hell you know I but there you know I I just there's just there's value there's purpose there's meaning to this life and uh, I think you know there's you know when we die or whatever there's there's a, a transition to something else. And the way I can know that 
is because of like we mentioned all the serendipity all the coincidences all the 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 things that have pointed to me you know that have shown me uh that that that, that there is mm -hmm. you know i'm 100 with you and, and i believe that we are spirit that's eternal and then we fall into this body to have a human experience to to learn whatever lessons we're, we're meant to learn and at the end of the day the greater purpose is for us to go back to ourselves meaning finding our spirituality and when we go back to ourselves and you know our deep in our spirituality our natural instinct is to serve and to give back just the mm -hmm. way you're doing yeah I, you know what I, I i always said you know i speak a lot about recovery um and uh you know i always share you know i started uh i started doing uh so i got sober and there's this thing that where we bring um we bring uh recovery inside the la county inside jails i was just going to ask you about that tell us about that yeah and so you know when i first when i first got sober i thought i got sober because i wanted my life back and I thought that's what sobriety was about was get your life back. Cause I, you know, I want to be an actor and follow my dreams and, you know, maybe get married and have kids. Although that's looking more unlikely, but anyway, uh, it's another point, but, uh, another story, but the, um, I just felt that like recovery was to get your life back. Right. And so throughout my recovery process, you know, there was, uh, uh, something happened where, um, I cleaned up, I made amends and I cleaned up the wreckage of my past. And I, I was overcome by this overwhelming sense of peace. And then I thought, oh my God, recovery is about serenity and peace. But I heard about this thing called, uh, where we can bring out, um, recovery to inmates. And so I started going into jails and I started speaking to inmates mm -hmm. and there was an inmate in there that, uh, I had seen a few months in a row um, that was incarcerated and he came up to me and he said, hey, I'm getting out on Friday. And what should I do? And I said, well, you come meet me at this recovery meeting and I'll introduce you to some people who will help you get started in your recovery. And so I went to that meeting. He didn't show up. And about four months later, I was at that meeting and I and he saw me. He comes running up to me and he's like, hey, do you remember me? And I'm like, no. <laughs> And he goes from jail and i'm like oh dude what's up <laughs> and, he's, and he said to me he said uh he goes hey man i got out i started drinking again i hit another bottom and i came here looking for you you weren't here but i raised my hand as a newcomer and all these people surrounded me and they got me into a sober living he goes i'm sober three months Amen. and i'm like wow that's amazing and about a year year and a half after that i was at a recovery meeting and he was the speaker yes that's and what i'm talking about he was a speaker and he uh, he started sharing a story how he was introduced to recovery while he was incarcerated and he didn't know anything about recovery and he was introduced to it. And he said there was one person that came in that said something that saved his life. Yes. And, you know, listen, I didn't save his life. I'm not I don't have that kind of power. Um, I just happened to be the hand of service that was there at the time. And, you know, and if it wasn't me, it would have been somebody else. But at that moment, I think when, you know, I had a moment of clarity, a spiritual awakening. And what that that moment of clarity was, was that life is about service. Yes. It's not about my career, comedy or financials or whatever. Maybe it's not about uh, just about that serenity and peace that I got from recovery. It's really about service. And yeah. you know what? Maybe it's a little bit about everything, you yeah. know, and 
You know, maybe it's about, you know, for, you know, being a, a parent or, you know, and being self-supporting so we could be a good example and having peace and serenity in our life so we can, you know, be happy and joyous and, and free. But ultimately, I, I think, you know, that that life is about service. And I think we've all been put on this earth to be a service in some capacity. And, uh, and I found my way and it's through recovery and, and also making people laugh. And there's a lot of, but I think, you know, that the, you know, life is about service, but then I think it's also a little more complicated than that, you know, you and I, about that. when you say it's a little bit more complicated than that, what do you mean? You know, it's not just about service. It's also about spiritual growth and it's about becoming a better person and it's about growing individually so we can, you know, be a better example and, you know, and, but ultimately all the gifts and I always pray, I pray every night that, and uh, I, you know, that I can use the gifts that I've been given to better serve humanity, you know? And uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, but I, I think there's a lot of different things to life, but I think, you know, we're all put on this earth to be a service and we got to find our capacity to, and to be a serve, to serve. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you hundred percent. I, I used to, um, you know, again, like I had the ego, like, okay, you go to school, you work hard, you, you know, you make, the money and, and that's what it's about and I realize like and there's nothing wrong with being successful and and mm -hmm. you know taking action and having money I mean that's our birthright but I realize now the per you know this is my perspective of purpose so my purpose is to continue to go spiritually to get closer to God's source whatever it is be a better person I can have fun doing it because when I'm being true to myself and you know growing spiritually then I'm setting the example yeah when I set the example that, you know, that's being of service and then being of service, you could be of service in many different ways. Like, you know, the, the mom and, you know, in the PTA, she's being of service. So I feel in the past, I had this grander, you know, vision of service and service is, you know, like our friend, you know, Johnny Carino, he's been hooking up, you know, and making us happy with his empanadas and that's <laughs> yeah. right there because he I dropped them that. off. I love that. You're right. He's he's doing really well. Yeah. Uh, so I'd love to see that because Johnny Carino is hustling. You know, yeah, guys is. always guys always, you know, moving stuff and you know, and just you know, the guy's a hard worker and then to see yeah. that success. I think yesterday he sold like 140 or something empanadas. And it's like it's so and I was thinking about this yesterday. I'm like, God, he should start a little company and like have a little manufacturing company and see if he can get it into some of the local stores. And it's like yeah, you're right. There's just there's just so many different ways to be a service. And sometimes being a service is just showing up. Oh my God. Oh my yes. And sometimes, you know, during COVID, I had such a hard time just fucking showing up. And then, you know, I'd show up and then, you know, source spirit God would just lift me up. And that was it. It was just the service was showing up and you know letting people know how i feel and then they could relate and then they're not alone and that right there was service yeah the uh that covid and the quarantine has, has been you know there it's been difficult and isolating and um but it's also you know for me and listen i i have it a lot better than others and some people have it uh better than me you know and some people have it a lot worse but it's been you know it, there's also been a lot of growth from it right before Right before the, the pandemic hit, uh, I was scheduled to open on the road for Daryl Hammond a Saturday Night Live. 
And we had five shows booked in Chicago at Zany's. And then I was going to open for him at uh, the Hard Rock Hotel or Hard, uh, in Florida, which is this incredible, wonderful venue. I was doing five shows opening for him then. And, you know, I've been grinding it out in L.A. and I've done shows in the Barry, but I've never toured with an open for a headliner. And Daryl Hammond is a good friend of mine. He was on Saturday Night Live for 11 seasons. So this was like a dream come true. He's the guy. He's the guy that played Bill Clinton. And also Sean Connery in Jeopardy, which is one of the most memorable skits on Saturday Night Live. But he was on there for 11 seasons. I love Saturday Night Live. Yeah, and he and so I was supposed to open for him. He asked me to open for him, and it was like a dream come true. And then pandemic hit, and I'm like, oh my, I'm like, what? Not now, not now. And uh, and so what happened is all those outside things mm-hmm. were taken away for not just me, but for almost everybody. You know, all. Our lives changed and it was just me sitting in my house by myself and all those things were all taken away. And so it made me realize, you know, like what's important in this life, you know, family, friends, service, recovery, you know, what's really important in life. And like you, like you said, there's nothing wrong with success, you know, and I wish, you know, in a lot of ways, I wish my ability to serve would be to be a billionaire and to give money to <laughs> to grants and, and I would love that too, babe. <laughs> that would be a very fun, you know, and also, you know, travel the world and, you know, whatever. So, you know, that would be my choice of service or being a headliner and open and making people laugh, whatever. But anyway, so all that material stuff was taken away and all that success stuff was taken away. And it was just me sitting and it really came down to me going on walks, going to the beach, meditating twice a day. And it was difficult. And, uh, but now things are starting to open back up. I got vaccinated. I'm doing shows every Friday. This uh, this Friday, I'm doing a show with Kevin Nealon from Saturday Night Live. I just saw that. Congratulations. Yeah, which is which is really exciting. And um, but uh, it really put pers- things in perspective, you know. And in my brother's death was a, I was an was eye opener as well, and you know. And so, what's really important in life? There's nothing wrong with those successes, but again, it's, it comes back down to service and spirituality and, and, and trying to realize who the person I am and trying to become the best version of myself that God intended me to be. Yep. I'm, I'm right there with you. And no, there's nothing wrong with success and success can mean something different, you know, to everyone. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, and that's their, their perspective and, and it's okay. But going back to, you know, service, for me, I feel laughter and fun is the best medicine. Yeah. And so just you being on that stage and making people laugh, like for me, that's like, I, it brings me joy. It brings me joy to laugh and it brings me joy to feel good. And that's, that's you know, what I wanna do is I wanna feel good. Cause when I feel good, then I I'm, can be better. I can better serve, you know, and I can be a better example, which brings me to, I know that comedy is hard. I've watched Steve Harvey's story and like, you know, all of, um, you know, the messages that he gave before he was famous. So what was your defining moment where you're like, okay, like, you know, I'm in, I'm, I'm headlining for, or I'm, you know, in the lineup with these big guys. Like what was the moment that got you there, you know, got you to where you are today? I'm still not there yet. <laughs> but, but you, you are know, there to, to, for, you know, you're where you are today and there's still yeah. more to come. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think uh, uh, I make people laugh sometimes. And uh, 
I'll, you know, on a consistent basis, but I, you know, I'm not some great comedian yet. I've been doing it for eight years and I'm hard on myself. I'm so goddamn- You're very hard on yourself, boo. So critical. But listen, you, like if you would have asked me, if you would have told me I'd be performing with all these people, uh, you know, I got to meet Dave Chappelle and I've, I did a show, Joe Rogan dropped in on, on one of my shows and, and um, uh, Bob Saget, I did a show with, and, you know, and I had, you know, I just, you know, so- Hello. So now, in that regards, it's really, really wonderful. But, you know, to downplay myself in a little bit, these guys are on a whole nother level. But for the opportunity to perform with these guys, but, uh, uh, you know, that listen, the punchline was a, I wasn't a very good comedian at that time. But the, uh, you know, to, to get a standing ovation, I think the standing ovation was really because, you know, my recovery and because Greg was doing it, not because I was this incredible comedian. Can you stop, please? But but my seeing my parents smile and be happy, and uh, when I walked off the stage, that was a really good experience. And um, there's been some bombs. Oh, let me tell you, there have been some bombs. Well, that's how we learn, right? We learn from our failures, and they're not really failures; they're just opportunities for for growth. Yeah, they're opportunities for growth. You grow. It's it's true. When I have a tough show, uh, when I have a tough show, I grow more than when I kill you know exactly. and exactly. uh but you know listen like if you told me it's just a dream come true it's the best and i get to make people laugh and i last friday I'll, now i'll self-promote a little bit i destroyed oh, yeah. it i fucking i destroyed it i killed it and it was it was awesome and uh so there's moments of uh of greatness and uh and a lot of moments of struggle and so um the uh, and you know people were coming up to me after and sending me texts and posted on social media and saying you know uh, and you know Bill Burr said great set great job and you know so there it's just it's such a great feeling sure. to do that and to bring laughter and joy and you know I'm just gonna keep working at it but yeah. I'll tell you it's hard it it is hard and what, like what's, I'm, what's hard about it what what's hard about it well you know I care so much what people think. You know, and so knowing that, like, I'll go out and when you do it, when you develop a new joke, you know, or a new story or whatever, and you go out and no people don't laugh or you don't have a good set. I, I know that going away, all those people leaving are thinking I'm a terrible comedian. And I hate Is that, that. True, Just from uh, one set, you're a terrible comedian? Nope, not at all. But I think that that's what I think that, you know, all, all these people think I'm a terrible comedian, but that's not true. So, you know, and you ask any comedian, you watch all the documentaries and you ask all these comedians that are incredibly successful, you know, and they'll all tell you, oh my God, it's so hard. It's so brutal because you're putting yourself up there to be judged. You're being oh. judged whether you're funny and you're a good comedian. That's what you're there to do. You're there to make people laugh. Mm -hmm. And so when you don't accomplish that goal, it's very, it's, it's, you know, and I, and, you know, I hate to say this, but, but to not to bring yeah anyway it, it, but it's almost like a form of self-harm you know it it's feels like yeah where i go up there and it's so brutal like when I, at the beginning of my comedy people would ask me do you love comedy and i wasn't very good and 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 i would i was always likable from the stage always likable i always got laughs there was only one show i didn't get a single laugh the whole time but uh, i always got some laughs but you know obviously it was obvious i was wasn't very good or i was a rookie but uh, so people would ask me, do you love comedy? And I would think to myself, no, not at all. I fucking hate it. It's horrible. 
It's horrifying. I would like take a nap before a show and I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh my God, I have to do a show tonight. And I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? It's like cutting myself. You know what I mean? It's like hurting myself purposely. But then there's these moments where you see, you bring laughter and joy that make it all worthwhile. And last Friday night was one of those nights where it's like, it's all worth it. It's all yeah, it's that flow, the flow, just being in that flow. And it just runs through your whole body and you feel that vibration. And you just want to stay there. It's like hitting a home run to win the game. Yeah. You know what I, mean? well, I don't know. what I always wanted to know what that felt like. What's your favorite? I can, I can describe it to you. What's the favorite, what's your favorite thing in the world to do? My favorite thing in the world to do. What gives you the most pleasure? This, like having fun, laughing, be, connecting with people, connecting. Okay. Now imagine doing that while skydiving. Damn, that's an adrenaline rush. Yeah. I love imagine, it. Imagine, I don't know if you skydived or imagine doing oh, yeah. that on the peak of a roller coaster, you know, yeah. coming down the road where you're like, ah, you know, just that, that rush, you I know. And that's what I love. I'm addicted to that rush. And I get the rush, like when we're, you know, kind of get in that flow, we get in a trance and it just flows. It like fills my whole body and it feels amazing. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's an interesting point because as a comedian and as an athlete and as an artist or as, you know, anything, you try to train yourself to get in, you know, athletes call it the zone. And, you know, the best, the best, the best people at being able to achieve this, you look at Joe Montana, obviously Tom Brady, San Mateo hometown boy. Hell yeah. Try to get yourself in that ability where you can just react and not have to think about it. Every time I find myself going into my head to process it from the stage, I get in trouble. When I just let it go and I put it and it's in my body and I'm in the zone is what athletes call it. And, you know, then I, then I can perform at, at my highest level. And, you know, I use Tom Brady and Joe Montana as the best, you know, because they have, a, they have ability to access that uh, and to get there consistently and perform under pressure at a, such a high level. And that's where you want to tr- achieve. But I can tell you how you get there. And tell me. Work. That's it. Yes. And consistency. Yeah. And, and something you said earlier, like we're always going to get better. Like, you know, right now where you're at, you're, you're great. And there's always room for improvement and we're always going to grow and get better at what we're at. And like Tiger Woods didn't get great from just going out and hitting golf ball, you know, once in a while, you know, just like Tommy and, you know, Joe Montana, it's like, like you said, it's commitment, it's consistency is, is being grounded in yourself. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you said, it's about getting out of your head. Cause when we're in our, when, when we are in our head, like we sabotage ourselves. but when we can fall into our body and trust, surrender and trust that greater power that we have access to shit turns into magic. Yeah. But it's easier said than done. You said a good thing that, 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 that sparks something in me and it's that self-sabotage. Yeah. And there's something, you know, that will block me from achieving great success because deep down inside, I don't, I don't feel I deserve it, you know? You and so you just I, hit a point. I, I won't allow myself to, to, you know, put, you know, to, to achieve that success or I won't try or I won't do this because I feel that uh, deep down inside, I don't deserve it or it's not going to work out and I'm going to fail so what I'm trying to do now, and as part of my growth as a human being, is to know I'm a good human being. I'm a good person. I deserve 
to feel okay. And I I just, I was telling somebody this on Monday, I had this amazing weekend, you know, and my head wants to tell me, you know what? It was just a fluke. It's going to go away. Bad things are going to happen. And I shared this with somebody on Monday. Uh, I deserve to be okay, to feel okay. I deserve that weekend. It's your birthright. You know, it's okay to have success and to enjoy it. And listen, difficulties and hardships are going to come. Always. You know, um, but when things are going good, I deserve it. And I think, you know, I pray, uh, I pray every night before I go to bed and I pray one night, like I said before that, you know, uh, you know, for, um, to use my gifts to better serve humanity. And, uh, and I think my develop of spiritual growth is allowing me to achieve more success um, and there's a lot of things and the service work that I do makes me feel better about myself as a human being that, that will allow me. And it's like, I'm trying to remove those blocks, mm-hmm. uh, that allow me to achieve success. Um, and, and realize that I'm a good person. I'm, I'm, I deserve it. And, uh, and, but it's, it's complicated, you know, like I said, you've seen a lot of self-deprecate deprecation, you know, you know, me about my show at the punchline and I wasn't very good at the time. And I always have a tendency to do that because I don't want to boast or think I'm like, you know, anyway. But, but you know, what's funny that you spring all this up because I could relate. So prior to becoming a certified, you know, um, success and transformation coach, when I was studying, um, getting my master's NLP certification, we li- I didn't realize that we live 95% of our life based on unconscious beliefs that were imprinted in us when- from when we were children. And then our core theme story for every single person, I haven't met someone that core theme story wasn't, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not deserving, I'm not safe. So it's not just you, it's like we all have that core theme story and the- then we run our life on those unconscious limiting beliefs that do sabotage us. But once we're aware of it, and we can start, you know, rewriting that story, amazing things happen. And one thing that I've had to learn, and it's, it hasn't been easy is like you said, no matter what, we are worthy, regardless of what we have experienced, regardless of what we've been through, we are worthy, it is our birthright. Mm -hmm. I don't have to deserve anything. It's my birth, I don't have to earn anything. It's my birthright to live a full life, Mm -hmm. to have great things happen to us. It is. Yes. So my friend, you are worthy no matter what. So am I. So is everybody else. There's a story. I'll tell you a story how I became a stand-up comedian. I'd love to hear it. Uh, I was at a recovery meeting one night and um, there was uh, my friend Glenn uh, introduced me to this guy and uh, and he was new into recovery. I think he had 30 days uh, clean or something. He introduced me to him and we, and uh, at the end of the recovery meeting, he asked me, he says, uh, Hey, will you give uh, Jimmy a ride home? We give him a ride home. And here's, and I thought on the, here's what I thought on the inside. Why don't you give him a ride home? Why are you asking me, man? <laughs> and you know what, but I, you know, I've, I, I've been, you know, I try to say yes to the universe. You know what I mean? Because I never know what, is going to lead me down, you know, a new path or a new experience or a new growth or whatever. So I try to say yes to the universe. Yes. And uh, so I said, I said, sure. Uh, and I gave this guy a ride home. And uh, on the way home, I, you know, I asked him, I said, do you have a car to get to meetings? And he said, no. And I'm like, do you, you need, you want to go to meetings to get together? I'll pick you up. And he's like, yeah, that'd be great. 
So I would pick them up and take them to meetings. And um, I would always go to Starbucks and get coffee before the recovery meetings. And he would never order anything. And so I asked him, I said, are, are you broke? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, do you have groceries? And he's like, no. And I'm like, all right, man, I'm going to take you grocery shopping. And so I asked him, I said, where do you shop? And uh, he took me to Whole Foods. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. He took me to Whole Foods and got like a little basket for like a hundred bucks. It was crazy. But you know what? Whatever. It was fine. And uh, but I took him to grocery shopping, bought him some groceries and uh, we just became friends. And we, you know, we became good friends and we were going to meetings and running. God, I didn't know anything about this guy. And uh, it turns out he was a stand up comedian. And uh, I had gone to the comedy store and watch these comedians. I always love to go, I would go by myself and just watch these comedians and, uh, and laugh, and, you know, and, 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 you know, but never, never did it ever cross my mind that I would be a, be a stand-up. Never, just never crossed my mind because I didn't think I could write or be funny or anything like that. I've always been a good public speaker, but I've never, you know, I never, never considered my mind. And uh, so uh, he invites me to go see him at this show at the comedy store. And does uh, maybe three or four or five months after we became friends. So I go see him and uh, half the comedians up there were terrible. It was like this, uh, they're called bringer shows. So it was uh, like a beginner show and they were terrible. And I speak in jails. Like I told you, I speak in jails and I've, you know, I've been inside the LA County jails probably over 300 times uh, sharing my story. And I tell drug stories that make people laugh. And I, and I made a joke like, Oh dude, I could tell drug stories and make people laugh more than half of these comedians up here. And, he said, you want to try it? And I'm like, oh my, you know, and again, I tried to say yes to the universe. So I mm -hmm. said, sure. I, and you know, I was so scared. And so I did a show, he put me up on a beginner show at the comedy store, like a week later. And I told some, I get up there, I tell some drug stories. And then I wrapped it up with a recovery message. And, uh, and I get off the stage and like people high five me or whatever. And, uh, and uh, the host comes back on the stage and he's like, holy shit. He goes, I didn't know this was a recovery meeting. <laughs> and everybody started laughing. And uh, and so that's how it started eight years I, ago. I love and it. About uh, after that, about three years later, um, I'm, I'm at the comedy store on the most famous comedy stage in, in the world. And uh, it's the same curtain that Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, Leno, Letterman, Jim Carrey, uh, you know, everybody, Robin Williams, they've all walked out this curtain. And uh, I was hosting the show and uh, I'm, a, I'm a good host. Uh, uh, and I was hosting the show. I'm behind the curtain. I did my set already. And I'm talking with Bill Burr, who's one of the probably one of the top 10 comedians in the United States and one of my favorites. And I'm talking to Bill Burr as I'm about to go on the stage and introduce him. And I thought like, oh my God, like, I'm, I mean, I really was great. I couldn't, the moment was overwhelming. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh my God, here I am behind the most curtain of the most famous comedy club in the world. I'm about to take the stage and introduce one of my favorite comedians. I'm like, this is incredible. How did this happen? Because and you said yes to the universe when you drove the gentleman home. I, 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 I was a service and I gave a newcomer a ride home. Yes, I love that. I love that. That's so inspiring, Greg. I love you so much. It's been so fun. I want to say one more point about that. What if I was selfish and self-centered? What, right? what if what if I was uh, what if I said no? My whole life changed 
from being of service to another human being. And yes. Danny, Danny Trejo, uh, uh, he's a, he does a lot of public speaking. He has one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard. And that everything, he became an actor by going and helping a newcomer on a film set that, and he was in jail and a boxer in jail and it, the, the, the film was about boxing. And they, he got cast from going to help a newcomer. And he says, everything good in my life has come as a direct result of helping another human being. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. And I hope everyone can hear and those words resonate because at the end of the day, that it's, that's honestly what it's about. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. And, and we're, we're all one. Yeah. Uh, one more last quote from uh, Jackie Robinson, the first African-American uh, baseball player. Uh, a life is unimportant except for the impact it has on others. Amen. Hallelujah. And, and I believe that. And that's why I, I love doing this. And really, mm -hmm. my mission is, is that is to make an impact and to serve and, and to show that there is something greater than us and that we are, we're all one. We're all one. That's great. It was so fun having you. I could keep wow. going, going and going. I know. That's amazing. You know, this was, you know, we're talking about real life stuff. Yeah. We're talking about stuff that's important in life. And it's not, yeah. it's not just comedy or, uh, you know, there's, you know, and it, there, there's real, you know, I, our, our conversation was really, was really good. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I love. Just, you know, being real and raw and taking off the mask. And that, that's also part of being of service is showing up in your authentic self like you did today. And I so appreciate it. So where can people find you? So they can find me on uh, Instagram at real Greg Baldwin. Uh, and um, my website, my, oh, my podcast is called Second Chances. And uh, it's, you can find it on secondchances.tv is the website, uh, but it's anywhere anywhere you find podcasts it's second chance is a very searchable thing so a lot of other stuff comes up but it's second chances podcast hosted by greg baldwin and jimmy shin and uh and i'll also have the information there for our audience we've had on like a lot of celebrities i just had joe manganello from true blood oh, on i love him i've had you know you know dave daryl hammond from saturday night live i've had on the head sheriff of valley county jails i've had inmates that um you know that there was an inmate that was sentenced to murder for you know he got a life sentence for murder and a drive-by shooting and he got out and he changed his life and started a nonprofit to help people and and uh you know i've had tons of celebrities and tons of uh real world but you know just like you're doing my mm -hmm. goal is to bring hope and inspiration to the world and sometimes it's one listener at a time you yeah. know and uh but anyway, secondchances.tv is the website. Yeah, and so we'll make sure, guys, that all the information um, will, will be um, there for you at the end of the podcast. And it was such an honor and a privilege to be here with you and have this chat. And you know, I'll be reaching out in the future because there's a way more we could chat about. Yes, of course. <laughs> I love you, my dear. And I love you too, Grace. Um, thank you guys so much for being here with us today and make sure you find Greg Baldwin. We'll have the information there for you at the bottom of the podcast and make it a great day. Hey love, thank you so much for listening today. I am so grateful for you. I'd like to show you my appreciation by gifting you a free forgiveness self-hypnosis audio download. Part of living the fun and fabulous life is practicing forgiveness. Forgiveness can be such a long and challenging process. My intention is that this forgiveness audio will help you in practicing forgiveness, especially with yourself. 
Grab it by visiting daredeachieve.com backslash forgiveness. For more inspiring tips, make sure to connect with me on social media. Drop me a line on Facebook or Instagram at Grace Redmond Dare to Achieve. Until next time, keep moving forward towards living your fabulous life.